We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, and Trudell is not with us today. He's off trying to win a World Series with the whole Trudell clan, so send some good LFR pod mojo in their family's direction. I hope they pull it out. But it is the return of Darius looking very tan and rested and and all that man how you doing welcome back i'm doing well i'm doing well i don't know if you guys need me back the pod's been great i've been catching some episodes i've been you've been missed you've definitely been missed well i will say that i've heard you guys going back and forth and i'm just like i got something to say which shouldn't (laughs) surprise anyone right i'm like hit pause let me make my point right now but it's been a great run without me i'm sure it could have continued long for much longer without oh, me stop and it. and stop and been it. totally great but uh, but it's great to be back talking basketball we're going to talk some finals right and mm-hmm. you know weave it into some lakers talk because i know that you guys have been connecting some things between what we've been seeing in the finals and the Lakers and particular, I think recently, right? Like some of the idea about like, man, if this Lakers team, mm-hmm. the, the way that they were trying to build things mm-hmm. and what we're seeing now in terms of how the finals is developing, and particularly, I think with game five, I think that there's some some interesting stuff to discuss there. For sure. And this is an idea that I'm kind of obsessed with right now right is the idea that the league is changing that it's fundamentally changing changing more toward athleticism and size and strength and even even a guy like deandre ayton on on phoenix is one of the emerging stars of the nba as a function of of those attributes and nothing really encapsulated this idea as much as the climactic play of the game right so you got Devin Booker matched up against PJ Tucker which is a whole interesting conversation as well there's so many different rabbit holes we could go down I think that Milwaukee's made some excellent adjustments and it took them a couple games to find the oh we should do this and put this guy on that guy and it's kind of put Phoenix in this position where Booker has to do everything as a result of but anyway we'll, we'll get to that in a moment but let's just talk about that that play Booker is isolating against P.J. Tucker. 
He drives left, and at this point, Booker's had the ball so many times that Milwaukee's kind of caught his rhythm, right? You guard you guard a player over and over and over again. You start to catch on to tendencies and just kind of the rhythm that they play with. And so Tucker's doing a good job on him, but he's got help, right? He's got Giannis collapsing down into the paint. But then Drew Holiday digs down from one pass away on the wing. And he goes and he rips that out of his hands with two hands and pops the ball up in the air. I loved your Sharunish. I, I can't even say his name. I, I, I loved your comparison. Who, who is the old Golden State player? Had the strongest hands I think I've ever seen in the NBA. Sharunish Marshallonis. I think yes. he was from Lithuania. Mm-hmm. He was. And so one of the early like Euro players, like foreign born players that early came 90s. into the NBA. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. cycle of guys that were not sort of, that didn't have any sort of um, American influence like in their games, like didn't go to college in the United States. And this is like pre-Dream Team too, right? Like yes. where the Dream Team was so, I think, influential around the world to styles of play. There was an era of players, Vlade, Tony Kukoc, and and him as well, you know, uh, Drazen Petrovic, that yes. were kind of pre the influence of that. And But yeah, he had this, he would just rip the ball out of guys' hands. Vice grip that, hands, man. He oh. had vice grip hands. And I just remember because the first part of his career, he played with the Warriors, the Lakers saw him a bunch, mm-hmm. right? And, and so it was really one of those guys who in those early years, especially when the Lakers had Vlade, it was just like, oh, another like Euro player. And mm-hmm. like they would sort of dap it up before games and, right. and they would have this, this sort of camaraderie that Eastern block, like we made it sort of feel. And, um, but Marcelona's a throwback guy for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that comparison. And so, but that's a power play, right? Like that ability to yeah. dig down from the wing, get two hands on the ball. Cause a lot of guys are going to try and step forward and slap with one, but you don't have the same strength as you, as you do with two. And so he rips it out of Booker's hands. The ball pops in the air. He recovers it. And now I want to switch the attention to Giannis and Aiton. So the ball's up in the air. And Giannis is right right in front of Aiton. Uh, Giannis is just outside the restricted circle, whereas Aiton is in it. But they're basically touching. And Giannis recognizes that, oh, the ball is loose and we have a transition opportunity about a half second before Aiton does, right? So that makes all the difference in the world. You're talking two supreme athletes, although there is an athleticism component too where like as incredible as Aiton is in, at running the floor and being an athlete, there's – there's no one like Giannis in the league, strictly strictly from a covering distance in a short period of time. Anthony Davis is about the only guy that can can get there. Giannis is probably the best run and jump athlete in the league right yeah, now. Like, like just in terms of the combination of both with stride and strength and his ability to, to really get after a play. Like there is really no one quite like him, even AD, really, for uh, no, all of AD's levels. Yes. No, that's that's absolutely true. I, I think Giannis is incomparable in that respect. And AD is the guy that comes closest. But I think that strictly from that respect, I think that, you know, you that that, Gian, that nobody compares to Giannis. And so when you combine that with faster recognition on what's happening on a play, right? This is a mental transition from every player where in the middle of a play, you think you're on offense. Devin Booker has the ball and you're DeAndre Ayton and you're right around the rim fighting for an offensive rebound opportunity because that's something that you're great at. And this is some one of the few bits of interior presence that you c- can provide the Suns. So you're mentally in a place where I'm fighting for offensive position. The ball g- gets popped up in the air. The ability to recognize a half second faster than your opponent, the way that Giannis did with Aiton, means that even that when you combine that with the athleticism, 
by the time Giannis gets to half court, Aiton is barely crossing the three-point line on that play. And so that means that you've got a three-on-one fast break, and the play ends with the most absurd athleticism and strength disadvantage possible on the court at the time, which is Chris Paul trying to defend a three-on-one fast break with Giannis streaking toward the rim. And they lob it up. You know, Giannis uh, points to Drew, throw it up there for me. He does. CP3 makes a pretty dangerous play, right? Yeah. This is why CP3 is here, though, is like he's willing to do absolutely anything to win. And there's a certain degree of smoke and mirrors to it that I think it gets exposed at, you know, when you get into finals level basketball, which is why Booker has to do so much at, at this point. But anyway, that's normally a play where if you make that shove on a player that's jumped midair, that guy's going to go flying. It's going to be a flagrant one at the very least, it, you know, good chance of somebody getting hurt. But there is such a discrepancy in size and athleticism between Giannis and Chris Paul that it didn't really matter. And it's just an and one with Giannis flexing at the end of it. And I thought that the way this series has gone, where Milwaukee's size and physicality and they're like, they're targeting Chris Paul in switches. Middleton and Drew Holiday are just going over the top of guys, right? Yeah. And they're just putting so much pressure on the rim. They're barely even running conventional offense a lot of times. It's just let's put our head down with a head of steam and go to the basket. That's so similar to, to kind of our concept of the Lakers and what we think that we can go there. But, but we can talk about the Lakers in a sec. That was a great game. It was competitive. It was fun. Phoenix comes out to a a fast start. Milwaukee comes roaring back. I'd love to just hear your thoughts, but that's the way I wanted to kind of frame this is just that size and athleticism is starting to win the day. It really is. And I think in the middle of the Venn diagram of this idea and how game five progressed and how I thought game five was, if not one, like a key figure in that was Drew Holiday who made the play that you talked about in terms of the steal, right? But Holiday, to me, Pete, he is, when we talk about bigger, stronger, faster, we often talk about big players, wings, Giannis, Mm -hmm. right? And to a certain extent, even in this series, like Chris Middleton, he's not stronger, faster, but he's bigger. He's like a big wing and his shot making over saw like over smaller wing defenders has been important I think he, he gets into his shot so proficiently that when you combine that with his size he has access to a vertical plane to over the top of perimeter defenders where they're kind of at his mercy so if he can perfect his technique as he's as admirable of a player in the league in this respect to me that yeah he wins a physical battle in that way too And we can get to Middleton a little bit later because I thought all of Milwaukee's quote unquote big three were huge this game, right? Like they don't win this game without all three of those performances. That's right. It's Holiday who's been a bit up and down this series, offensively at least. I know he had a rough game for um, tough shooting night, but he's been bringing it defensively in in a way every game that I think is super important. But in this game, I thought his shot making was supreme. Yes. And getting back to the point I wanted to make, he is a power guard. The Lakers did not have that type of guard this year. Right. And I heard you guys talking about this on the last pod. You had mentioned like Danny Green, 
as sort of now Danny Green and Drew Holiday they are not comparable players they they don't do the same things on the court they don't even play the same position but I would argue that that idea of having size and strength and physicality in your backcourt is showing up in ways in this series that I think the Lakers used to their advantage in their championship season in in the 1920 season, right? Especially um, on the defensive end, yeah. Especially on the defensive end. And I thought Drew what like he was just switching back and forth between Paul and Booker and giving both of them fits defensively and he was able to get to his spots on the floor and power through in ways offensively that I thought were super important for the Bucks success and his I know he's not going to shoot this well every game but I thought in terms of the way that game five went they don't win this though the Bucks do not win this game Pete without Holiday having the level of performance offensively that he did in that first half So that ability to win strength battles gives you a certain floor offensively because, like you said, Drew Holiday was not making shots in previous games in part because he was overpenetrating, right? Like they're taking away the paint. That's Phoenix's defensive strategy, right? Because they know they can't guard these dudes around the basket. So they're trying desperately to just pack the paint as, as much as they can. And there's some value to like, oh, I don't care that you're still packing the paint. I'm still going to drive to the basket and we're still going to win this way. And I think Milwaukee's done a great job of that. It's so similar to how we will win battles. And so game three of our series, forgive me, I'm all over the place, but game three of of our series, a lot was made of the Lakers dancing, right? And they're just kind of general way of being. I will let other people debate the you know, sportsmanship and, and all of these ideas of whether or not they should. And and Phoenix has, has mentioned, Jay Crowder mentioned that that rubbed them the wrong way, totally within their right. However, I think it's interesting exploring why were they dancing in the first place? Like these guys play this game every day and there is a certain, there's a certain code. There's a certain social norms, even on the court where, and certain things when you see it within a team mean something. I thought from watching this team very up close all season long, this team takes took a lot of pride in winning physical battles. Like when Andre Drummond was kicking Brooklyn's ass on the interior, everybody on the bench is flexing the biceps and making the little too small gesture. This was something I saw on the melt all year long. They took a, an, a special amount of glee in being bigger, faster, stronger and winning those types of battles. And so that is something that Phoenix is so vulnerable to, and it's something that provides that higher floor of which Drew is an example of this, is that they still won that game where he shot four for 20. The shot making will come, the shot making will go, and this goes to a big part of Mike's point, and I can't wait to hear Mike's thoughts on this series once he comes back, because he's seen a lot of this coming, that on those nights where your shot making is there, Like Milwaukee was so confident, man. And that was a great punch from Phoenix. Phoenix played a great game. But when you combined those physical advantages with nights where like dudes are hitting shots, Phoenix can't get to that level. I thought there was a calm that the Bucs played with through that stretch of the Suns getting to their big lead that speaks to that confidence point that you were making. And that we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about that chop wood, carry water idea Mm -hmm. right and the 
Bucks exhibited a lot of that, I think, in in game five. They never got down on themselves. And things were really sort of rolling in the Suns' direction. I thought the Bucks got a little bit of an unfriendly whistle in that first quarter, but I thought that was also reflective some of like the level of aggression that both teams were playing with. I'm not saying the Bucks were playing passive, but the Suns were definitely looking to throw that knockout blow, right? Like we're at home. Yep. This is game five. And if we win this game, we've got two games to win one. And one of them would be at home. And that would be the game seven. That was their best punch. Yep. And so they were about halfway through the third quarter and the Bucks had just gone up 10 and Phoenix called a timeout. And at that point, remember, the Suns were up 16 at the end of the first quarter. And so I had said that since the end of the first quarter, it's been 18 minutes, basically. And Milwaukee has outscored the Suns by 26 points in those 18 minutes. And someone told me the Suns peaked in the first quarter, right? And mm-hmm. I, like that was just... In a very simple way, that's exactly what had happened. Now, Phoenix made a game of it late. They did. Mm-hmm. Right? And credit to them for sort of seeing their playoff lives flash in front of their eyes and saying, mm-hmm. like, we're not ready to go yet. And mm-hmm. there's a resiliency that I think you have to really give the Suns credit for. They they are a mentally tough team, and they are a well-coached team. But – the physical advantages that you've been talking about with the Bucks, they are weighing more heavily in their favor. Like uh, the thing I wanted to say earlier is that the Suns, they're a scrappy team, right? Like they've Very got like Aiton is their physical, he is their one percenter dude, right? Like the dude mm-hmm. who can hang in any physical like confrontation across the league, Aiton can can hang. Everyone else is not quite there. Even Booker, right? Mm-hmm. Like even even Bridges, right? Bridges is a very good athlete who who can run the floor, but he's going to lose some physical battles. He's not the the strongest guy on over on the way. Yeah, he's got he's got physical tools, but he is not a physical player. His length and his foot speed and he leverages his his physical tools great, but there are going to be guys who just go through him or knock him off right. of his spot because he is not a imposing player. But this is true of their roster in general, right? Yes. Yeah. that they traded a lot of physicality for skill, for shot making, right? And those things matter, and that's something that we've seen so much over the last four five to to seven years in the NBA, we've seen a real turn that direction. I think the league is changing, though, to where they're when you have uh, Cam Johnson, Bridges, Jay Crowder in those playing those four Tory Craig at the four spot, you're going to win lose strength battles around the rim, but also the over the top type of battles. And I, I just think it's fascinating where the league is going and where it's been, you know, and it, it's always informed by where it's been. Right. And, and so that's what I see so much in this series and this matchup between the teams. Let's come back. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that after the break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, yeah, man, I, I just see this when I look at Phoenix, I see all of these guys who in our previous areas of watching the league would be threes. Right. These are yeah. these guys are small forwards at every spot, even at, at the fourth spot. And so kind of the downsizing of that position, I think, leads to a certain degree of vulnerability. Yeah. And so what Phoenix has done to get to this point has been they have relied on a scrappiness and a toughness from that position. Right. And no one epitomizes that more than Jay Crowder. Right. Crowder sure. is going to fight you for every inch and he is not going to back down. Mm-hmm. And there will be times where he might cross a line in terms of physicality, because like Chris Paul, and I think Chris Paul represents this at the guard position. Right. Because mm-hmm. he's another so. guy who is like, oh, he's listed at six foot, but is he really right? And and but he will fight you for every inch and he is going to battle. And that's sort of the mindset that this team has taken on. And that's going to work against so much of the rest of the league because so much of the rest of the league is sort of built just like they are, right? But the Bucks and a healthy Lakers team are not built mm-hmm. like that. That's they right. are built to manhandle you. And like there's that Bucks lineup where they've got like Portis, Lopez, and Giannis all on the floor at the same time. And, and they're not even using a point guard. It'll be like Middleton and Connaughton that are out there too. And it's just like, what the hell kind of lineup is this? Like Phoenix has really no size. Yeah, They have nobody there to guard those guys, right? Yeah, and that's part of the reason why. Like Milwaukee's, as you said, these lineups are kind of like, what is this? It's like, it's not conventional basketball at this point, right? It's it's to the point where it's kind of funny. Like I'm watching this basketball and I'm kind of cracking up because they're not really running plays. It's just like, just plow through you on every single play. That's the same type of stuff they were saying about like those We Believe Warriors, right? Which was like 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? 2006 Warriors. They were playing all guards, basically. It was, and guys who would have been small forwards and they weren't playing a center at all, right? And so it's like, oh, there's Baron Davis and Steven Jackson and Al Harrington and Monte Ellis. And it's just like, okay, well, what like what kind of 
what kind of lineup is this? Like, this doesn't make sense within the context of the league. And you're now seeing a shift back to, or not back to, but a shift away from sort of the conventional stuff in the same way now with some of these lineups that are being thrown thrown out by these extra physical teams. Like, those Lakers lineups where it's like, oh, look, there's Anthony Davis and LeBron James and Kyle Kuzma and Alex Caruso. And right. Right. And it's so like, that, where that, are the guards? Where are the small players? Like they, they're not out. There. They're not. They're not there. And that's why they were dancing. Right. Regardless yes. of what happened after that, there was a certain level of, oh, you're not able to handle us physically. And that's going to be true on the next play. And that's going to be true on the play after that, which isn't to say Phoenix wouldn't have won a game or they wouldn't have won some some battles right with their skill. And but there is a breaking point. And that's the point that I'm trying to make is that you have to be able to do some things physically on a baseline level or else all of the the convention collapses because you cannot handle the physical discrepancy. Well, I think that there's there's a baseline of everything, right? So there's a baseline of physical tools, and 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 the Suns have a baseline of physical tools, and there's a baseline of tactics, right? And the Bucks have a baseline of tactics, right? And it's the way this series has gone. I feel like it has been sort of like, okay, well, the Suns have the tactics, and to a certain extent. Right. They're a little bit stronger in tactics and the Bucks have the advantage in the physicality area. And what the Bucks have been doing over the course of the series, I think, is saying, OK, well. We're going to use our physicality to limit your tactics and we're going to force you to keep up from a physical standpoint. And let's see if you can. So tactics are fundamentally based on deception, though, right? It's fund- fundamentally based on this idea that by doing this certain thing in this certain way, we're going to create an advantage in what's naturally an even sport, five on five, right? And against a team that has a physical superiority, though, you eventually start to run out. That's, again, why Booker has become so overburdened is because at first, maybe it's like, okay, maybe we should put – drew on booker and have you seen chris paul's scoring totals they went down the first four games they went back up right he gave it his best shot and did some things with smoke and mirrors in in this game five and and hit some mid-range shots as well but that's in part because the series started with different defensive matchups and so what i'm saying is that tactics become less important the longer that a series goes on because what's happening from the milwaukee side is they're saying okay well what if we try you know they lose the first game they lose the second game all right, what if we try P.J. Tucker on Booker, and then that can help limit Aiton when we need to switch because Tucker can credibly defend the five spot. He's got such a, a strong post base, right? Okay, so that's that kind of resolves this. So the idea of starting Drew on Booker, which there's a basketball argument for that, we've seen that play out where Chris Paul is now actually getting more production than we want him. So we're going to make this this, this decision to – we know Booker's going to go off because P.J. Tucker cannot fundamentally defend Devin Booker. He's, Booker's too fast for him, too skilled for him. But by kind of shutting the water off or turning it down elsewhere on their wings, on on bridges, on John, they're giving up a lot of those, those shots a lot less that the tactics, you catch up to the tactics over the course of the series. It's just a matter of finding the alchemy, the formula for beating it. And that's why there isn't many places for Phoenix to go at this point. Well, that's where I think the switching has been super important for the Bucks and mm-hmm. the Bucks being able to find a rhythm switching and switching at the right time and not switching necessarily everything. Great point. 
mm-hmm. but proactively seeking out the right switches in order to shut down the actions that get the role players going. Mm-hmm. I thought a key over the rest of the game after the first quarter, I thought was how limited the Suns were in being able to generate open three-point looks. Mm -hmm. And as the game wore on, and those looks were less and less open or non-existent entirely because no one was helping off of the wing because the Bucs were credibly switching, switching on almost every pick and roll, and Aiton sort of not being able to punish them in a way where the Bucks ever felt like, oh, he's hurting us too much here, right? Like it well, was and, and if they and if he is, like th- that is what they do. The, the Bucks defend around the rim. They they have Brooke Lopez. They have freaking Giannis, right? And they've got yeah. Pat even Pat Connaughton dropping down from the perimeter and jumping up in the skies. Drew Holiday, right? If the point is that they have the personnel and the talent on the team to take away Aiton around the rim if they need to, right? And so it's just a matter of just making an adjustment here or there to turn that dial. In game five, I thought it was Aiton got his numbers in game five, but it never felt like he was dominant. It never felt like he was was tilting the game back in Phoenix's favor. And as long as that's the case, the Bucks can continue to sort of yeah. use their mm. physical advantages in ways that limit the Suns' tactics. And they make it so now, if this is a sort of mono mono game, can you beat us? And it's why Booker ended up taking 33 shots and why the burden on, on him was so high. It was because no one else really had the ability to say, give me the ball and I'm going to go get you something. And this is why I've, at the beginning of the series, I was like, Chris Paul is going to have to be a scorer. In the, and it's not, you know, I, I put like, you know, 20 or 22 points is what I was looking for from him. But it's more about the ability to, can we give you the ball and go create a shot? And out of an isolation situation, because this series was always going to degrade into that, not degrade, but it was always going to the matchups and the turning of the dials and all of that was always going to land in a place where it becomes that mono a mono matchup that you're talking about. And so that comes down to like Giannis and Middleton versus Booker and CP3, right? Yeah. And the most questionable guy of that group in this type of setting when it comes to that mono mono situation is CP3 because at this point of his career and for, for much of it, but especially now, again, a lot is done with, with smoke and mirrors. It's done with deception, whether that's the other player or of the referee. But if somebody really wants to lock on to Chris Paul and they have the talent defensively to be able to do that, they can win battles against him where they're not going to fall for the things that he goes for. And the, the ref is going to allow more physicality, which they have over these finals, which I've loved to see. And so that's why at the beginning of the series, I was like, Chris Paul has to be a scorer, scorer because if he's able to create that separation, hit those crazy fadeaway jumpers over length and all of that, that is what flips it for Phoenix. But that was, to me, was the the X factor. And it's ended up with Booker over and over and over again. And he's been wonderful. He's been incredible. And, and I, I want to give him props that they were in that game is in large part due to the volume that he was that he was able to absorb. So what do you think of the argument then of that? Do you think Booker needs to play make more considering he is the only one that cre- that can create advantage? Or do you think that those opportunities are even there for him? Because I was looking at some numbers. They came across my timeline earlier today. I want to say it was Caitlin Cooper 
who mm-hmm. tweeted these out. She's great. It was shining a light on the decline in sort of assist opportunities that Booker is creating, right? And like he is shooting more and more in these ISO situations rather than creating shots for others. I contrast that to like Giannis, for example, who I thought in game five played a brilliant game in terms of seeking out both right of like i'm gonna be aggressive and going to the basket to get mine and and getting scoring opportunities but also like oh there's a nice cut there i'm dishing off or there's my guy in the corner like they're walling off there do you think booker has had a bit too much tunnel vision or do you think that it's just like look he's the only one who can go and get a basket and so like he needs to play to that I think both things are true, right? I think that that I think Booker is a superstar scorer, right? We've talked so much about the concept of superstars and the absence of them. That's I mean, could you imagine if Giannis didn't play in this series? We'll talk more about this and we'll see how this ends. It's certainly not over, but like I'm glad the basketball gods did not allow a team to not have to face a single team that had their guys on the way to an NBA championship. Like it wouldn't have bothered me. I don't care if about Phoenix one way or another, right? If they win a title that that is neither here nor there to me on a like, oh, it, like it's not like the Celtics or no, a, it's just like extent, clear, if anything, it's care. like good on them, right? Yeah, like, good on them, you, right? like y'all won, great, great. So, so there's no degree of like, come on, man, that has to do with that. It's just more the like superstars make a big difference. Imagine if Giannis wasn't able to play in this series, how would we be talking about Phoenix right now? Oh, it makes me sick. So anyway, with respect to Booker, Booker is a superstar scorer. He can execute high-level moves at a level of speed and accuracy that is just mind-blowing. Superstar scorer. He is not a superstar in the other aspects of the game. And one of them is his playmaking, which isn't to say that he's not a good playmaker. It's just – it's one of those things – these are his first NBA playoffs, and he's freaking killed it. How amazing has he been these entire playoffs, right? And so – of course, he's not all the way there. That's one of those things where like when Kobe lost, he'd look at why he lost and be like, yo, I need to add this element to my game. I need to work on this over the summer. For Booker, that's his playmaking. And I've actually been impressed with his fight on defense. He needs to get better in that aspect of the game. But I also think there's a big part of that, D, where like Milwaukee is turning this game into a we're going to turn off all of the others and make Booker yeah. beat us over and over again, which also has a conditioning opponent, uh, a conditioning component to it, right? Where he's expending so much energy. He got big ass PJ Tucker defending him, right? Milwaukee's so big that I can only imagine the physical toll of 33 NBA final shots against a team as big and physical as Milwaukee. And I do think that you see Booker start to like, there's some wear and tear that comes with that. Yeah. It, it, I know that people have sort of made the comp of Booker to Kobe, but when you were talking right there, it did remind me some of like the 2008 series, right? Mm-hmm. Where like Kobe was sort of just like, okay, well, things are sort of going haywire here mm-hmm. a little bit. And I'm going to try to shoot my team to a victory. Right. Well, even, and even like 98, 99, right before he won all the championships as he's yeah. in, a, in a more similar place in his career as Booker. Right. In terms of like just entering the playoffs, he had all sorts of lessons he learned in, in that stretch, too. Yeah. And there's this idea of I love the point that you make about like, of course, he doesn't have that yet. Right. right like he right. because why would he when these are every single game? 
from game one of the playoffs through now game five of the NBA finals for him, right? Four rounds later, every game has been an incremental step up in stakes for him, right? And so like, it's, it's amazing that he's been able to play as well as he has as the stakes keep going up and up and up. And it'll be amazing to sort of see what he can conjure in an elimination road game right that is winner go home and the other team can win the nba championship against you like that's going to be a great great game before we close though i wanted to go back to one quick thing for you about the lakers and and just sort of connect the dots here because we're talking about all of this at some point it's almost always devolves quote unquote into like a mono mono game right i feel like the yep. finals almost always do they we do. saw even in last year's finals it was look at jimmy butler right and yep. look how much he's trying to do in order to will his team to win and look at lebron and look at ad superstars like, matter this has been driving me crazy all playoffs the way that people been like oh like the injuries happen every year like no these guys that can do these things are what separates the best basketball from the rest the shot making that we saw in game five just reminded me of what the lakers were actually trying to build towards Yes. Right. And like we have LeBron, we have Anthony Davis. We're going to push in that direction. And it reminds me that's just like for all the talk about like, oh, it'd be great to have more consistent like offense. Mm -hmm. And well, not even necessarily shooters, because I think shooters, even without scheme, Mm -hmm. I think shooters and spacing help optimize Yes. Can, can can help optimize what the stars do. That said, what really matters is can you go out and get one, right? Like, 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 can you go out and get a basket? Just can you do it? And the idea of LeBron and AD, forget tactics, give them the damn ball, clear a side, and see what these guys can go do. That's what the Lakers have basically been doing. And it's been interesting to sort of see that stuff come to fruition with other teams now that we're in the finals and how effective it can be. Absolutely. And that is really the difference in this series at this point of the series is that Milwaukee has three guys. So like you you compared Giannis's decision-making and playmaking to Booker, Booker's. Well, part of that is because Middleton, like, He's got Middleton next to him. Drew can have a game like he had in game five. There's more next to him that doesn't put him in – because when you increase those touches and those reps, then that is what increases mistakes, right? Like there's a certain usage point where there's always an inverse correlation between usage and and efficiency, right? Because – on some plays where it would be better if you could pass the ball to somebody else or give the ball to not even pass that to them, give it to them at the beginning of the play because your particular matchup or your circumstances, which may even be, I've had the ball the last four or five possessions and I'm freaking tired on this play. Can I give the ball to somebody else for a play? Those things matter. And that's what degrades that, that efficiency. But that's what this series has come down to is it's Devin Booker and, sometimes Chris Paul, when he can find a favorable matchup against Giannis and Middleton, and then Drew popped up out of nowhere offensively to be able to do that. In terms of how this applies to the Lakers, actually, let's use this as a teaser, my man. This is my newest obsession, right? Is kind of this 
tidal shift toward the rest of the NBA. And I have some crazy theories on what I think that we should be gearing toward this offseason that are a little different than prior to this series, because this is what I've been rambling about with the Lakers all season long, about the construction of the team and why signing Andre Drummond makes sense. And we want to be this team that physically bowls over everybody. We can't be that without Anthony Davis, right? And so yeah, the whole yeah. thing falls apart if because Anthony Davis is the foundation of that. He is the most physically devastating player that we have. And so in the absence of him, we're not all that physically dominant. Like we've got some size, but not that much. Anyway, this is my newest basketball concept obsession. So let's talk about this in context with the Lakers and building the roster tomorrow when we come back on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is lying. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.